Hi, you've just downloaded or otherwise accessed a podcast of Cross Point Church and the teaching ministry presented through our weekly Sunday morning worship. Feel free to burn a copy of this file when you're finished and pass it along to a friend you think might also benefit from the teaching. We hope you enjoy the message today, and thanks again for taking the time to visit. A number of years ago, <clears throat> at least 30 or 35, I guess, I was refinishing a guitar. <clears throat> and uh, I've loved working with wood and being a woodworker for a number of years. And this is one of my early efforts into, my first effort into refinishing a guitar. And I had, had it sanded down and, and had the finish I want on it. I was working in my studio, had an HVAC system in there and a dehumidifier in there, had, had a great environment to work with varnish. And varnish is kind of a tricky finish. It's, um, it, it, you can't rush on the face of the guitar. And it's a beautiful on today if I do that. I took it outside, set it on a couple of the finish of the guitar. Top down again, all the way down to the wood, refinish it, and, and decided to circumvent that environment to, to do something faster. Hopefully, I thought easier and quicker. Didn't turn out to be the case. It took me more time to, to correct the wrong than it would have to wait on the right. That's what we're talking about today. If you want to turn with me to the story in 2 Samuel chapter 12, we're going to look at the story of David. And this is a rather lengthy reading compared to the text we normally bring to you on Sundays, but I think it's I think you need to see and hear this story unfold. <clears throat> so from 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1, we're look, looking at this idea of decisions about purity have consequences. The Lord said to Nathan, sent Nathan to David, verse 1. When he came to him, he said, <clears throat> there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised it and grew it up with him and his children. He shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves no pity. Then David said to, uh, to David, said, I anointed you king over Israel into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel. You despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonite, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite, to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity upon you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you, and he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're, you're not going to die. But because by doing this you have made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt, the son born to you will die. After Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had born to David, and he became ill. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and went into the, his house and spent the nights lying on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused, and he would not eat any food with them. 
On the seventh day, the child died. David's servants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought, while the child was still living, we spoke to David, and he would not listen to us. How can we tell him the child is dead? He may do something desperate. David noticed that his servants were whispering among themselves, and he realized the child was dead. Is the child dead, he asked. Yes, they replied, he is dead. Then David got up from the ground after he had washed, put on lotions and changed his clothes, his own house. And, and a child was alive. You fasted and wept. But now that the child, who knows, the Lord may be gracious to me and that I will go to him, but he will not return to me. Son, and they named him Solomon. The Lord, there's, there's probability, will eventually be exposed. They'll eventually be exposed. Look at verse 7. He says, that then Nathan said to David, you are the man. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the land of Saul. You are that man, Nathan said. We learn in 2 Samuel 7 that Nathan was a prophet of God. Old Testament prophets were both foretellers, meaning that they told the future, and truth tellers, meaning that they told the truth about the present. And in this story, God uses Nathan uh, to be both of those things to David. And as a truth teller, he brought David's adultery with Bathsheba into the light of day, made it known. Uh, as, a, as a foreteller, he explained to David the consequences of this decision to have an adulterous relationship with Bathsheba uh, and the consequences of, of, his, of his failure in doing so. Um, that, that's Actually, these consequences were probably in David's case and oftentimes in ours, twofold. One is that he, he, he would have the same thing done to him as Bathsheba's husband Uriah did only in public. That was the first consequence. The second is, is that the offspring of this, this adulterous affair, his son, the new son, was going to be put to death. He would, he would die, as God told him. Uh, so what are, the, what are the lessons we glean from those consequences? The first is this and we talked about this last week, is to keep your eyes on the path that God has you. Don't look to the right, Proverbs said, or look to the left. Stay on course. Stay on the course God has for you. Uh, so that's the first lesson. The, the second lesson is if exposure to our sin and our impurity is eventually going to come, let's do that ourselves so that we can move ahead of the enemy and do it on, on our own terms or on God's terms, more importantly, rather than on the enemy's terms. Because he will, as, as I shared with you last week, he'll use whatever failure that he can again and again and again and bring it up again and again and remind you of it again and again to keep you in the pit. If he's got you in the pit, he's going to keep you in the pit the best he can. So if we get ahead of that and confess our impurities, uh, we take his ammo away. Uh, he'll, he'll, he'll use that as long as we let him use it. And, and in fact, in, in many cases... Days can turn into decades sometimes, and he'll do that. But decisions about purity will eventually be exposed. The second thing is this, is that decisions about purity are often humiliating. Look at 11 and 12, often humiliating. He says, this is what the Lord says, out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity upon you. Therefore, before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you, and he will lie with your wives in daylight. You did it in secret. But I will do it, do this thing in broad daylight before all of Israel. You did it in secret, I'm going to make it exposed. It's interesting that Nathan describes um, 
what God is about to do in David's life as calamity. Now, if you look at this, this word calamity in, in the original Hebrew text, it, it, it describes the term unhindered destruction, meaning God was going to have some, bring, bring some destruction into, into David's life, and there was nothing David could do or anyone else could do, for that matter, Nathan himself even, to stop it. So bringing public humiliation in, into David's life is a consequence, or was a consequence, in, in David's sin. Now, as we read the story, you saw in verse, uh, verses 8, 9, and 10, those verses paint, paint a, a picture of David's blessing, of what God has done for him, of, of, of the position that he's put him in, and, and how he's got his hand on him, or had his hand on him. Uh, then uh, calamity is in, in stark contrast to, to those verses. Humiliation does and should have a way of humbling us, and hopefully to a point of repentance. Uh, and thankfully, that's, that's what happens to David, as we'll see in just a moment. But, but that, that humility is designed to, to bring us and push us to a point of repentance. However, a sovereign God, an all-knowing God, knows that David's about to repent and allows, beyond allows, even directs this calamity to occur in David's life, this humiliation to occur. Now, why would he do that? Well, I think in order to teach David and us a couple of things. First is this, is that he sees and knows everything about us and our circumstances even before we take the first step into disobedience. God sees ahead of time what's about to happen and wants to deliver us from it before, before many times we even see it ourselves. Second thing is that the lesson, the consequence, is either going to make us better or bitter. And that's your choice. Whether the consequences of your own, your own failures, your own impurities will make you better or bitter. That's a choice we make. But those kinds of choices are often humiliating. Thirdly, decisions about purity will eventually be exposed. They're often humiliating. But thirdly, decisions about purity can be severe. Look at 13 and 14 with me again. He says, then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. But because by doing this you've made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt, the son born to you will die. The Lord has taken away your sin, he says, but there's still the consequence. You know, we talked last week about the natural consequence that God oftentimes allows to occur in our life. Could he deliver us from that consequence? Yes, he can. Does he deliver us from that consequence? Oftentimes, no. I share with you, my own experience has been 95% of the time God allows the natural consequence to occur to teach me the lesson. And would I learn the lesson otherwise? Likely. And not as, not as great as me walking through the consequence, walking through the valley of my own disobedience, the valley of my own problems that I created for myself is, is the consequence of, of my own failures. Uh, he's taken away your sin, but, but the son born to you will, will die. Just, as, uh, just in case David's wives engaging in public adultery w with a close friend isn't consequence enough, uh, the product of this adultery uh, with Bathsheba, who is by now his wife, she wasn't at the time the adultery occurred, the product of that, his son is going to die. Not only that, it takes his life. I've been no more sobering than that. Here's where God has David walking as a consequence to confined to David. Bathsheba is, grieving, is a grieving mother, is are affected by this, and his servants in his household Everybody around David's life. In fact, the entire kingdom was affected because this, this son that was to be the prince, the heir to the throne, is, is now gone. So the entire nation was affected by David's sin. 
great lesson in that. And your, your impurity and mine will always have a ripple effect. It's never, it's never just going to stay with you. It'd be great if it did. But it never stays just with us. It always affects other folks. Um, as much as we wish it, wish it weren't the case, our sin and our, our disobedience, as I said, always affects others. There's always a ripple effect. There's always fallout to our disobedience and our impurity. And those, that fallout can be, and it was in David's lot, a severe fallout. But decisions about purity will eventually be exposed. They're often humiliating, can be severe. And finally, decisions about purity should bear the evidence of repentance. Those decisions should bear the evidence of repentance. Look at verse 20 with me again. He says, Then David got up from the ground after he'd washed, put on lotions, changed his clothes, and went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. After all that Nathan had said had come about, David does for himself and models for us what is always the proper response. And the proper response for him and for us is repentance and submission. Worship at its core, whether it's fellowship of some kind, worship is really about one thing. It's about submission or teaching, about finding ourselves in a breast to breast to breast, person to person to person. Uh, it should be about submission. And, and worship, when it's effective, is about submission. Humbling ourselves before the Lord in obedience. He doesn't notice that David doesn't try to do better. He doesn't try to make better decisions. He doesn't try to try to outwork or, or rework the things that have, that have done, make the good outweigh the bad. He simply humbles himself and starts worshiping before the Lord. Uh, it's, it, 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 I think it is essential for us to realize as well that David goes to church to do that. Now, you can worship God at home, and I hope you do. And David probably did as well. But he goes to the temple, goes to synagogue, goes to church to do that. Meaning what? He already knew that everybody else knew his humiliation and his failure. So he, he publicly brings restoration to himself, to his family, to his sin, by going, going publicly to church and bearing himself before the Lord in worship. Uh, it's, it, it is easy, always easier to isolate after we stepped away from God. It's not what David does here. He, 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 he realizes, I, I'm, I'm already known. <laughs> My failures are known. Why don't I own up to it and repent before God and before others as opposed to trying to isolate? Now, the enemy's going to tell you after your own failure, every time he's going to tell you this, you don't need to go over to that church. They're going to well, worship God, fine, do that at home. Turn on the radio, the fallout of this, the friends that's going to embarrass you. He'll do that 10 times out of 10, I guarantee you that. He decide to say, that I'm going to publicly repent before him. There's something restorative about worship. That should be the case for you and I as well. Regardless of whether we're worshiping on the heels of failure or not, there should be something restorative about worship. And, and worship done effectively, as I said, whether it's praying or singing or, or, or gleaning from God's word, should restore us, should bring us to a place of, of, of greater spiritual wholeness than when we walked in that door before. When it's... When it, when it is genuine, it will do those things for us and in us. Um, so just as his consequences were public, his repentance and his restoration was public too. Don't be afraid of that. At its core, all impurity, whether it's sexual 
or otherwise, all impurity is about self. It's about me. It's about what I want, what I feel like I deserve. So what's the takeaway today? Takeaway is this. If the Holy Spirit is leading you to transparency when it comes to your own impurity, then be obedient to that. If the Holy Spirit is leading you to transparency when it comes to your own impurity, be obedient to that and become transparent before him. Get ahead of the enemy on it. Uh, David tried to conceal it, and God exposed it. And we'll oftentimes with you and I as well. So if the Holy Spirit is leading you to transparency, be obedient to step into that and make that known. Then let the consequence of that teach us to always run to God instead of from him. The enemy wants you to run from the Lord. He wants you to run. If he can get you on the run, he'll keep you on the run. Don't allow the enemy to do that. Let, let the consequence of our own failure teach us to run to God as David did instead of from him. Great lesson in that. How we respond is, uh, is altogether important. Uh, it is, it's essential that we see and come to grips with our own sin and our own impurity and find ourselves in a place of obedience and submission to God in, 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 the, in the recourse of that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, today I, I don't know the situations of people's hearts in this room. I don't know uh, whether there's great impurity or little impurity. Uh, I know there's some because we're human and we're going to fail. And whether it's our mind or our eyes are impure, whether it's our lips and our, our mouth and our speech that's impure, would you make us keenly aware of those impurities as you did David? Uh, we, we allow the Holy Spirit to, to speak to our hearts about that and be honest with us about that rather than have to, having to send a Nathan to warn us, having to send someone to get in our face and say, you're that man, you're that woman. Let us be sensitive enough to your spirit to listen to what you have to say and respond to it. Respond as David did in repentance. And in repentance, you restored him. As he came and worshiped you, as he went back to church, you brought restoration to his heart and to his Bring the impurities to mind this morning that are, that are leading this, us to do that. Let's say, forgive me, God. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Let me walk in a place of fellowship again. Let me seek your ways again and not my own. Let me get off the throne of my life and give that back to you. Will you stir those things up in this room and in our hearts today? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to today's message from Cross Point Church, helping people navigate the journey toward an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with Christ. 